Great to be with you all this morning to study another portion of God's Word and to worship together our Almighty Creator. Well, this morning concludes the last in our series of lessons on the home, and we've spent the last five weeks on this topic, and um, actually we spent the last six weeks on it. This will be the seventh week, and I hope that you've benefited from it as we looked at God's overall plan for the home that was from the beginning and man's role and women's role in that, as well as the children's role. We talked about uh, the design for singles and the importance of that, understanding that. Then last week we took a little sidetrack and talked about divorce and how it was a diversion and a perversion of God's design. And this week we'll follow up with that on looking at homosexuality. And you may ask, why would you talk about homosexuality when you talk about the home? Because the subject of homosexuality is closely connected with this because we've disregarded God's intention and God's design for for human sexuality and for the home and it is a perversion of God's design and this is an outcropping of what we talked about last week and the religious uh, communities acceptance of this topic really does uh, come out of the religious community's acceptance of divorce. For example, in 1896, this is what the Methodist Creed Book said about divorce. The Methodist Creed Book in 1896 said, No divorce except for adultery shall be regarded by the church as lawful, and no minister shall solemnize marriage in any case where there is a divorced wife or husband living, but this rule shall not be applied to the innocent party up to a divorce for the cause of adultery. Sounds like the Methodists had it right based upon what we talked about last week in 1896. They said there will be no remarriage uh, except, no divorce except for adultery and no remarriage except for the innocent party. They were still holding to that in 1914 where their creed book now says ministers shall be prohibited from solemnizing matrimony between divorced persons except innocent parties who have been divorced for the one scriptural cause. But by 1940, the Methodist Church had changed their creed book, and now it says that uh, the marriage of a divorced person whose wife or husband is living will be forbidden, uh, but this rule shall not apply to the innocent party when it is clearly clearly established by competent testimony that the true cause for divorce was adultery or vicious circumstances, which through mental and physical cruelty or physical peril inv- invalidated the marriage vow. So now you can get a divorce if there are other circumstances. And by 1960... The Methodist Creed book said, in the view of the seriousness with which the scriptures regard divorce, a minister may solemnize uh, the marriage of a divorced person only when he has satisfied himself by careful counseling that A, the divorced person is sufficiently aware of the factors leading to the failure of the previous marriage. B, the divorced person is sincerely preparing to make the proposed marriage truly Christian. And C, sufficient time has elapsed for adequate counseling. So now they're saying you can't get remarried unless it's been a long time, unless you know why it didn't work out the first time and you want to do it better this time. You can get a divorce then and get remarried. 
are starting to change, you see, with the society. In 1984, here's what the Methodist Creed book said. Where marriage partners, even after thoughtful consideration and counsel, are estranged beyond reconciliation, we recognize divorce as regrettable, but recognize the right of divorced persons to remarry. We encourage an active, accepting, and enabling commitment of the church and our society to minister to the members of divorced families. And so now they say, well, you know, sometimes you just can't help it. You need to disregard God's rules, and we'll accept that by 1984. And in 2015, now, the United Methodist Church voted uh, that they should remove prohibitive language from the United Methodist Church of Discipline concerning homosexuality. The proposal would allow United Methodist pastors to perform same-sex marriages in United Methodist churches. This proposal does not consider homosexuality incompatible with Christian teachings even though Methodists have historically recognized the practice as sinful. Do you see how the Methodist Church moved with the times? And do you see how this idea of homosexuality is connected with what we've been talking about for the past several weeks? About how we have allowed ourselves to disregard God's rule and God's design for the home? Ken Wilson, who is a denominational preacher, wrote this. He said, I have proposed a path for these pastors that allows them to embrace people who are gay, lesbian, and transgender and to accept them fully, welcomed and wanted, into the company of Jesus. I wrote a letter to my congregation when I realized my views had changed and I needed to communicate the intense theological, biblical, pastoral, and spiritual process that I had been through to get to this new place. It began with a burr beneath my saddle of my conscience. Why was I willing to let so many divorced and remarried couples know that they are welcome and wanted while refusing that same welcome to gay and lesbian couples? How could I say to the remarried couples whose second marriage was clearly condemned by the plain, uh, plain teaching of Scripture, you are welcome and wanted, while saying to the two mothers raising their adopted child together, I love you, but I hate your sin. Do you see how this guy is being logical? He said, we disregarded God's teachings on marriage and divorce and remarriage. And we welcomed those people who are clearly living in sin into the congregation to remain living in sin and be accepted in that. And yet we're saying to the homosexuals, you can't do that. He says, those two ideas are not consistent. And I agree with him. But the answer isn't to just continue to build on that error and accept more error. The solution is to go back to God's design for what he intends on how he expects us to live our lives. And so this morning, let's spend a little bit of time looking at this idea of homosexuality and God's design and how that homosexuality is a perversion of that design. First off, we need to understand, in spite of what those in our society would be teaching and those in our society might be claiming that science uh, backs up, God designed humans to be heterosexual. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, beginning, He answered and said to them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall be twain one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. God at the beginning made them male and female. 
Two genders. God made them, and He made them heterosexual. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, Paul illustrates and teaches God's design for human sexuality. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. God designed mankind to be heterosexual. And it is a perversion of that design to, to practice anything else. In, first, in Romans chapter 1, verse 26, in Romans chapter 1, verse 26, Paul says, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. God's design is that humans are to be heterosexual. And to those who would claim, well, I was born homosexual, the scriptures would teach that you're not. That God has designed us to be heterosexual, and the idea that I was born that way is not a valid excuse and not a valid explanation. God designed humans to be heterosexual. Furthermore, homosexuality has always, throughout time, been a sin. This is not something that some would claim that Paul just had a problem with and so he wrote about it in the New Testament. No, homosexuality has always been a sin. It has always been contrary to God's will and God's design. In Genesis chapter 19, the passage that Joseph just read for us, we don't need to read it again. But in that passage, this is in the patriarchal age when God is dealing with people directly through the heads of the family. And we see that homosexuality is described as a great wickedness, as a wickedness. God said, don't do so wickedly. In the Mosaic period, in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, the law of Moses was very clear in condemning the sin of homosexuality. In Leviticus 18, verse 22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Don't practice homosexuality. The law of Moses said in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, If a man also lie with mankind as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. This was the law of Moses. This is not the law that we live under today. But this shows us that throughout time, homosexuality has been against God's will. And in the Christian dispensation that we live in today, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning of verse 9, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for Persian persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Those who defile themselves with mankind are condemned in the Christian dispensation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you are washed, you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. The idea here being that those who are abusers themselves with mankind, those who are effeminate, those who practice homosexuality are not pleasing to God. And back in Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, as we looked at just a minute ago, for this, God got, for this cause God gave them up into vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, 
And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in, the, in their lust one toward another, men with men working what, that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves the recompense of their, their error which was meet. Homosexuality throughout time has been condemned by God. And it is condemned by God in the age that we live in today. It is not acceptable to God. It is a sin. And we need to know God and understand God's clear teachings on this subject. But we can't quit reading in Romans chapter 1 at verse 27 because we need to go on to the last verse of the chapter, verse 32. Who knowing the, the, the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. There's been a lot of uh, effort in our society to reduce the severity or re reduce the stigma associated with homosexuality. It has been for years presented on television as something that's humorous and comical, that the gay man is often the, the, the joke of the, of the sitcom. Homosexuality is not funny, and it's not okay, nor is any other sin, and we don't want to just isolate homosexuality, any sin, adultery, fornication, theft, lying, whatever the sin, it's not funny, it's not okay, it's not acceptable, it is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin, and it always has been throughout time. I also want to tell you that something that we need to be very grounded on is that, that homosexuality is not an irreversible trait. And that is a common theme in our society today as well, that if you were homosexual, you were born that way, and there's nothing that you can do to change that. In fact, in Canada and in other areas, it is... Uh, against the law, it is a criminal offense to try and convert someone out of homosexuality. Conversion therapy to try and help someone uh, come out of homosexuality is forbidden because there are folks who say, well, that's inhumane because that person was born that way. I want to tell you, the scriptures are clear that we aren't born that way. And they're clear that this is not an irreversible trait, not just something that you're born with and you can't help and you can't change. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9, we read that passage. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And then it goes on and it mentions those who are effeminate and those who are abusers of themselves with mankind. Notice what Paul said about those who were in Corinth. There were members of the church in Corinth who had been practicing homosexuality. But they were no longer practicing homosexuality. He says, such were some of you, but you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the, Lord, of, of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You weren't born this way. And second, you can change. They had changed in Corinth. And you can change today. You weren't born this way. You can change. It's not an irreversible trait. And yet there are so many in our society today who want to tell us that, that you can't help it. And there are some in this, our society today who want to tell us that if you have the temptation towards homosexuality, then the, somehow you are now a homosexual. I was on the radio with Tom Moody in Nashville about 20 years ago. And he made this statement on the radio that if you have the temptation, that doesn't make you a homosexual. No more, no more than the temptation to commit adultery makes you an adulterer. You're a homosexual when you act on that temptation. And after we got off the radio, he drove to the church building. And on the answering machine of the church building, 
was a man who had been listening to that program on the radio almost in tears, thanking Tom for making that statement. Because he had struggled with the temptation and he had been told by so many throughout time, well, you're a homosexual because you struggle with that temptation. He said, I read the scriptures. I know that I can't be a homosexual. And yet I have these temptations and, I, and, and everybody's telling me I am a homosexual. But he says, you told me and you taught the truth on that matter and it helped me so much. We need to understand that we're not a homosexual just because we may have that temptation. We're not born that way. We can change. We don't have to live that lifestyle. <clears throat> homosexuality is not an irreversible trait. And furthermore, we need to understand that Christ died for sinners in general. And specifically, he died for homosexuals. Christ wants to save the homosexual. And for Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were sinners. Homosexuality, whatever the sin may be, Christ died for that sin. And therefore, since he did, we need to understand that homosexuals need the gospel and they need it desperately. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants all men to be saved. Whatever the sin may be, God wants all to be saved, and as a result, all need the gospel. All need to hear, as Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, beginning. Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Those who are homosexual need the gospel of Christ because God wants all to be saved. We need to understand the clear teachings on the subject of homosexuality. One of the things that we need to understand about the clear teachings of the scriptures about homosexuality is that the sin of homosexuality is no worse than any other sin. We saw the sin of homosexuality linked together with lots of other sins like lying and covetousness. The sin of homosexuality is not some dark black sin that's worse than whatever sin that you may be struggling with. Sin is sin. And we need to understand that. And as a result, we're all, we have all committed sin and we're all in need of God's grace and His salvation that He's offered through His Son. But we need to understand the clear teachings on the scripture, of the Scriptures on the subject of homosexuality. But there are some justifications that many give in defense of the sin of homosexuality. And one of those is that, well, yes, the Bible may condemn homosexuality, but you know what? There are a whole lot more condemnations of heterosexual sins than there are of homosexual sins. And you know what? You're absolutely right. I can read about or heterosexual sins a whole lot more than I can about homosexual sins. But how many condemnations does it take? Do we need to count up and see which sin is condemned worse more to find out which one we need to avoid and the others are okay? No. We don't condone any sin. And if one, the Bible mentions the sin one time in the Scriptures, we must avoid it, right? doesn't make any sense to make the argument that, well, the Bible condemns heterosexual sins more. Others say, well, you know what? This sin is just between us. 
The sin is just between uh, me and my partner. It doesn't matter to anyone else. It's just between us. And it, and it doesn't hurt anybody else. It's just between us. And so it's okay. We're consenting adults, and what does it matter? I want to tell you that there is no sin that's just between us. And there's no sin that's just between you and God if it's just a personal private sin. Sin has effects on others and those who are around us. And it is no justification just to say it's just between us. Well, others would say, well, yes, maybe the Scripture does talk about it, but you know what? We're committed to each other. We're committed to this relationship, and we're not... Um, we're not uh, just uh, entering these relationships haphazardly. No, we're committed to each other, and so it's okay. Is it okay? Adulterers make the same argument, don't they? Well, we're committed to each other, so it has to be okay. That is no justification. And then closely related to that is the argument, well, we love each other, and so it's okay. And that's one that we hear all the time, isn't it, as well? The men in this uh, picture illustrate and represent some of that same sentiment, isn't it, that we, that we see? That if you say that it's wrong, it's hatred, and we love each other, and love is love. Love is love. Love wins. Love is love. It doesn't matter who you love. And this picture here, that commitments of love are never wrong. Is that true? Does the Bible support this idea that, that commitments are love? And it doesn't matter if love or never wrong, and it's okay if love is love. No. Who gets to define love? Who gets to, to define what love is and how love should respond? God does. In 1 John chapter 5, beginning verse 2. 1 John chapter 5, beginning verse 2. But this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. How do I know that I love others? First John chapter 5, verse 2 tells me that if I love God and keep his commandments, that's when I love others. And I can't say love is love and it doesn't matter who you love, it's okay. No, if I'm not keeping God's commandments, I don't love my fellow man like I should. And I might say that this homosexual relationship is love and that it's okay, but it's really not love. If I'm not living like I should, I don't love my fellow man like I should. Let me say that that goes for all of us. If we're not living as we should, we don't love others like we should. If I'm not living like I should in every aspect of my life, homosexual or not, I'm not loving others like I should. We know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. God has designed humans to be heterosexual. Homosexuality has always, throughout time, been a sin. It is not an irreversible trait that you're born with that you can't help. And it is something that Christ died for. As a result, homosexuals need the gospel. We live in a world that is increasingly accepting homosexuality. I saw a statistic about the acceptance of homosexuality among religious people. And it is on the increase, as you would expect. And it is on the increase among those who claim to be members of the Church of Christ, who would claim to be Christians following the Scriptures only. Accepting even to the point of, I saw a number of 25%. 
We need to be grounded on what the Scriptures teach. Homosexuality is condemned by the Scriptures. And we cannot let the society around us begin to sway us and to influence us. In Jude verse 23, in Jude verse 23, talks about addressing those who are caught up in sin. And it says, Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Notice this last phrase. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. We live in a wicked world where there's sin all around us and we can't get it on us. It's like the kids going out to play in the muddy yard. They're going to come back with mud on them, aren't they? And we live in a muddy world and if we're not careful, we'll get mud on us. We've got to hate even the garment defiled by the flesh. We've got to make sure that we maintain separation from the world, as we mentioned in uh, previous lesson, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 beginning. Where come, wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and, you will be, and will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We've got to maintain separation, and that separation needs to be in our thoughts and our attitude towards sin. Our society is beating into our heads that this sin and other sins are okay, are acceptable, aren't that big a deal, and you shouldn't be a fuddy-duddy, you shouldn't be old-fashioned, you shouldn't stand on what the Scriptures teach, you need to be more accepting, and we need to make sure that we're separate from that way of thinking. And the only way that we can maintain that separation is by being renewed in our minds by studying the Scriptures and making sure that our thinking and our attitude towards sin aligns with what God has revealed in His Word. Well, I hope the series on the home has been helpful to you. And it has been nothing new, nothing that you didn't know already, but hopefully the things we've talked about have been a good reminder for us of the importance of the home. It is so critical to us in our lives as Christians that our home is what God wants it to be. Let us be committed and resolved to make sure that we're following God in this aspect of our life and making our homes what they should be. How are you living your lives this morning? Have you been influenced by the society we live in? It's so easy. We've got to make sure that we're living like God would have us to live. If there's anything we can do to help you spiritually, will you let us know while we stand and sing?